Welcome to the Building Excellence Podcast. I'm your host, Bailey Miles. The Building Excellence Podcast is all about sharing inspiring stories from some of the most successful athletes, coaches, business minds, and thought leaders to help you build excellence in your life, leadership, and legacy. We hope this show provides you with tremendous value. If you find the show impactful, please share with a friend and on social media, as well as subscribe and leave us a review on iTunes. We would greatly appreciate it. Thanks. Now let's get to the show and start building excellence in your life, leadership, and legacy. Today we have Damon West on the show. Damon is a best-selling author, keynote speaker, and college professor. He travels all over speaking to teams, many of which you've heard of, such as Alabama and Clemson football, the Dallas Cowboys, businesses, schools, and many other organizations all over the country. But what is really amazing is his story before he started doing all this. Damon was sentenced to 65 years in prison, which is a life sentence, at a maximum security prison in Texas. But before this, Damon grew up in a great home with loving and supportive parents. However, early on, he got into substance abuse and addiction. This compounded by the time he was starting quarterback at the University of North Texas. And after a serious injury sidelined him from playing, he wound up turning more in-depth into those things. It ultimately led him to being arrested and sentenced to life in prison. I'm so excited to have Damon on the show because I know his story will tremendously resonate and inspire you to be a coffee bean and a change agent in your own life. And I also believe that his story will help you become that for other people. So with that being said, let's go right into the show and hear Damon West's story. Hey everyone, welcome to the Building Excellence Podcast. Today I have a special guest that I know you're going to love his story, Damon West. Damon, thanks for being on the show. Bailey, thanks a lot for having me, man. I'm looking forward to this conversation today. Yeah. Well, if you wouldn't mind, kind of give us some, some background and context to you growing up and what that was like for you. Yeah, man, I grew up in a town called Port Arthur, Texas, which is down in southeast Texas, down where Louisiana and Texas meet on the Gulf Coast. Came from a great family. I tell people all the time I didn't, I didn't come from a broken home. My parents are still married. We've been married for 54 years. I uh, got into substance abuse at a young age. Uh, a, lot of, a lot of bad behaviors, but I was a really good athlete, a really good quarterback. Got a scholarship to play football at the University of North Texas, Division I college football. And by the time I was 20, I was a starter there uh, until that fateful day in 1996 against AM when I separated my shoulder and my career ended. And then I got into more drugs at that point, trying to deal with life on life's terms, and I wasn't ready for it. My identity was wrapped up in being a football player. So then I was doing like cocaine, ecstasy pills, you name it. But I graduated. I went on to work in Congress. I worked for one of the biggest Wall Street banks in the world, UBS, trained to be a stockbroker in Dallas. And it was at that job as a broker in 2004 when I was introduced to methamphetamine for the first time. And once I was introduced to meth, Bailey, it took about 18 months to go from working on Wall Street to living on the streets, the streets of Dallas. Um, I was homeless and I was breaking into cars and storage units. Then I started breaking into people's houses and uh, I became part of a burglary crew. They called it the Uptown Burglaries. And it was for the uptown neighborhood of Dallas, which about a dozen other meth addicts and myself were breaking into until July 30th, 2008, when the Dallas SWAT team came swooping into this apartment I was in and, and arrested me that day. Or as I, as, as I tell audiences everywhere I go, they didn't so much arrest me as they rescued me. And my story really starts, you know, about a month, about a year later, May 18th, 2009, when I'm standing in front of a jury facing down the consequences of my choices in this jury, after about a one week trial, the trial was six days, the jury deliberated for 10 minutes that day on May 18th, 2009. And their verdict when they came back for their punishment 
65 years in prison. And 65 years is a life sentence, Bailey. I mean, it took mm-hmm. my breath away. But that's really kind of where my story starts, where the whole message comes in. Yeah, well, because, yeah, there's a lot in there right there. <laughs> a, lot yeah. of, a lot of stuff. But you talked about, you know, growing up, you had great parents. Uh, I remember hearing one time your dad's a sports writer, so he's really involved in sports, and you guys had that yeah. commonality. Uh, what are some qualities that you saw in them, you know, as you look back that you really admire in them? Yeah, you know, I learned a lot about sports from my dad, and I learned a lot of uh, the good lessons in life. I mean, like, but the whole idea of working hard, and I, and I applied that in sports, and that was something when I was playing sports, I had that. I mean, that was something I excelled at because I was a hard worker. I was a leader. I found a way to lead in a positive direction when I was still involved playing sports. And, and I found out that I was pretty good in sports. And, and I didn't really know this right off the, the, the top when I first started playing when I was a kid, but it took a coach to get through to me. And this one coach I had when I was growing up named John Bass, he was a baseball coach that I had when I was 11 years old, but he saw something in me no way else had ever seen it in me. But he also told me those four words that everyone needs to hear that you usually hear from a coach or a teacher. And those four words are, I believe in you. And then, you know, this guy believed in me and he worked with me and helped me become the athlete that I am, that I, that I was then. So, yeah, I mean, I learned a lot of lessons about teamwork. I learned a lot about being on a, uh, being on the team. I didn't ever, I don't ever consider myself to be a great team member during those, those years because I was never really sober. And I really look back and I'm like, man, what, what kind of a teammate could I have been if I were, were fully there, but you know, talent can get you so far, but eventually, you know, your core values have to, to come in. And that's what I was lacking is a, a foundation of core values because I had bad belief systems. And no matter how many sports I played and how many lessons I learned from it, my belief systems were not in the right place. Yeah, no, that's a great point. And just having the power of someone say they believe in you can be a key transformation in somebody's life. But at the same time too, I, I'm just curious, you know, you went to college and played college football at UNT. You're a quarterback. You know, how does a quarterback, uh, obviously getting hurt plays a big deal in that too, but how does that kind of turn into something that created a cycle, maybe that, a direction you maybe didn't want to go down and maybe, uh, you know, alcohol and things like that? Yeah, you know, being a quarterback, you know, I, I tell people all the time, quarterback is the toughest position in all the sports, Bailey. I mean, you yeah. get all the fame, you get all the blame. You go to the line of scrimmage, you know, if you've done your job right, you know what your 11 guys on offense are doing and, and probably what the 11 guys on defense are doing by the way your formation is lined up. You are literally the field general. You're the, you know, you're the leader on that field. Um, it's a very tough position. And it's funny because I had a guy, I posted something about it on Facebook one time about quarterback being the toughest position in all of sports. And this guy that played pro baseball at one point, he was like, oh, no, 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 pitcher. Pitcher is the toughest position. I'm like, dude, when was the last time you hurled a pitch? And the guy that, that you know, weighed 270 and runs a 4'6 yeah. was chasing you. Yeah. But, you know, playing quarterback also fed into my personality. My personality is very hard going. I mean, I, I do things at full speed. Mm-hmm. I'm a leader. And I'll either lead in the right direction or I'll lead in the wrong direction. Uh, I'm a hard worker. I'm, I'm somebody that other people will follow. And it just depends on – if I'm doing doing something right or wrong. And my teachers always told me growing up, you're a leader, you're a natural born leader, and you'll have to choose whether or not you lead people in the right way or the wrong way. And I've been both, Bailey. I've been a good leader, and I've also been a bad leader. Yeah, absolutely. Well, you talked about, because you look at your story, uh, going back into that a little bit, 
I feel like a lot of the things from the outside looking in, the things that you were on pace to do were you were doing them with an all in mentality. I, that that kind of seems like what you're doing. Sure. Um, but at the same time, you know, all it takes is maybe a one little bad decision that kind of creep up on you and talk about, you know, just the moments where you're sitting there and you listen to the jury and the judge say 65 years, what's going through your mind at that point? Like what, what goes, what are the emotions you feel at that moment? Yeah, that's really a rock bottom moment for me, man. And I'm feeling like, man, how am I going to do this? What, what just happened? And uh, life is over. And, and, and literally, I mean, I'm, I'm sitting there, I'm probably trying to process all this stuff. And I was kind of in shock at first. And then once it set in, uh, the world sped up. The sheriff is on me, the bailiffs are on me, they drag me out of the courtroom. I'm, I'm just going to a daze at first. And it was after the trial, right after the trial, that my mom and my dad had this fateful conversation with me. And my mom is telling me that, you know, you can't become, you know, something that we don't recognize. You got to come back as the man we raised or don't come back at all. Hmm. And I really didn't know how I was going to do this. And I just got handed a life in prison. Uh, so, yeah, I was terrified. I was scared. I had a lot of fear. Man. And I tell people all the time that fear is it's not even real. Fears is something. It's how you process a situation. It's an emotion you feel. Danger is very real, but fear is not. Fear is how you perceive a situation. Danger is real, though. And, and I was going to a very dangerous place. And you, you combine that fear and danger and a lack of faith. I didn't know my faith wasn't in the right place at that time. But thankfully, I, I found people around me that believed in me even in there, and they helped me through it. Mm-hmm. What about, uh, you know, the word, like, maybe when you get in that situation with shame, something that is something that you felt at all or. Absolutely. I mean, I felt a very, I felt less than, I mean, because, huh. you know, you, I had all this potential in life and I just hit rock bottom. In fact, I call that my rock bottom moment. I'm an addict and I'm in recovery today, but my rock bottom moment was when a jury sentenced me to life in prison and it felt a ton of shame. It felt a lot of embarrassment, embarrassed for my parents. They raised me better than that. And I had just dishonored them in such a big way. My parents are probably the biggest victims I have. I have a lot of victims out there of the crimes I committed. No one was ever home. I never saw my victims in my burglaries. They never saw me. No one got hurt. But I have a lot of victims nonetheless. But my parents are probably the biggest victims that I have. Yeah. Well, obviously, uh, you know, they sentenced you to 65 years in prison, basically life in prison. And I remember hearing a story that you talked about, just a, a guy that gave you some advice before you were going in there which is the concept of the coffee bean, uh, which is a book that you wrote. So would you mind just kind of uh, elaborating into that a little bit and that story and what that means and what that was like? Yeah. So, I mean, I just been sentenced to life in prison and this older black man there, Mr. Jackson, he's trying to tell me what prison is going to be like. So he told me to, to, he said, imagine prison as a pot of boiling water. And he said, if we put, let's put three things in this pot of boiling water and just watch how they change a carrot, an egg and a coffee bean. And so he walks me through it. He said, if I put a carrot in the pot of boiling water we call prison, he said, what happens to the carrot? And I'm like, well, it becomes soft. He said, that's right. He said, the carrot went into the water hard, but the water of the prison turned the hard carrot soft, bushy, and weak. And, you know, he said, you don't want to be the carrot. He said, what about the egg? And I'm like, well, the egg will turn hard. And he said, that's right. He said, the egg has a shell that protects it physically, but inside that shell, that soft liquid core, the egg's heart becomes hardened. And he said, if your heart becomes hardened, you're incapable of giving or receiving love. And he said, if you're incapable of giving or receiving love, you have become institutionalized and you won't come back as someone your parents recognize because your eggshell will have swastikas 
tattooed all over it. And so that was a big lesson for me um, because then he told me about the coffee bean. You know, he said the coffee bean was different than the carrot and the egg because the coffee bean changed the pot of boiling water to a pot of coffee. And he said the coffee bean was the only thing of the three things that could change the water that everything else is changed by the water. And he's telling me people go through life. They become sad and soft and weak like, like the carrot. And then people become hard and mad and mean and angry like the egg. The egg's heart turns hard like the inside of the egg. The yolk turns hard. But the coffee bean changed the water. Literally, you had to change the name of what it was. You couldn't call it water anymore. You had to call it coffee. And he's telling me, if you want to survive prison and come back to someone your parents recognize, then you have to be like that coffee bean and change this prison around you. And so that was it. The last four words he says to me in Dallas County Jail, be a coffee bean. And so those were the four words that were bouncing around my head the entire time I was serving this life sentence. It was my mantra for how I was going to turn this around, be a coffee bean. But he also told me other things too. Like you don't have to win all your fights, but you do have to fight all your fights. Hmm. That was a huge lesson in life for me because that, that gave me permission to lose. And in life, we have to have permission to lose because we're going to lose sometimes. You're going to lose. You're going to get your butt kicked, but you have to get up and keep going. No one, no one keeps track of your wins and losses, but they do keep track of how many times you get back up. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's such a powerful, obviously the coffee being super powerful, but when you're talking about being in prison uh, and just being able to show up and fight and at the same time, just showing up is a really important thing in life. Make sure you're showing up, but also when you're showing up, be ready to go, you know, be prepared. Um, and I think that's a big key that I think, uh, you know, was important for you as well. Absolutely. No, it's, and, and that's, a, that's, a, that's a very important point you make. Don't just show up, but be prepared when you show up, you know, mm -hmm. be prepared um, and this is what you do with anything in life. And yeah. you've got to be, you have to be willing to put in the work because I tell people all the time, Bailey, no one's going to do the work for you. You have to do the work yourself. And if you have these hopes, these goals, these dreams, you want to accomplish in life, you have to put in the work. You, no one's going to wake you up. No one's going to do it for you. You have to be in there. And once you're doing it, you're putting in the work. Other people are going to see that. And that's when they, they reach out a hand to be of assistance and, and tell you they believe in you and, and, and maybe push you along the way. but you have to put in the work. Mm -hmm. And what was that like when you obviously heard that stuff, you took it and you went to prison because that's a whole different, I'm sure feeling of emotions too. I mean, you got a lot of things yeah, man. going on was, right there. It was the hardest thing I've ever been through in my life. Prison is a dangerous place. It's very yeah, dangerous. I, I mean, and so, you know, the biggest pot of boiling water you can ever imagine. Most people's biggest fear is to go to prison. I mean, that's the, I hear people all the time. Man, that's the biggest fear I ever have. Mm -hmm. And that's, that's justifiable. Prison is a very hard place. It devours most of the people that go into it. Most of the people that go to prison become eggs. Some become carrots. Very few become coffee beans because that is a toxic pot of boiling water. But, but I knew going in, I was so advantaged to going in because I knew that I didn't have to win all those fights, that I could get in as many fights as they threw at me, and I could lose them all. But as long as I showed up, I won. So I just kept showing up because mm -hmm. that took the pressure off to actually go out there and and be the best fighter in prison. I didn't have to be the best fighter. I just had to be the person that showed up every time. Yeah. Well, what about maybe for people that think about that and when they show up and they fail and then they fail and then maybe they get discouraged instead of just keep showing up and then I decide to, to not even show up. How do you continue yeah. to battle through that to have the perspective like I need to keep showing up, be persistent and uh, still be playing the game? So what I do is I, I really, I use a lot of this thing called perspective. And we all have perspective in life. We have a perspective on what a difficult situation really looks like or what a bad day looks like. 
And in my life, when, you know, my perspective is that every day that I wake up and my feet don't hit the cold concrete floor of the prison cell, I'm having a pretty good day. You know, my measure, my, my rule or the measure that is a little different than somebody, but pain is relative. Everybody has these bad days. We understand what a bad day is. And a lot of times what we're experiencing isn't a truly a bad day. It's an, it's an inconvenient day. Sitting in traffic, being caught in bumper to bumper traffic for an extra two hours, that sucks, but it's not a bad day. It's not like, hey, someone just died. A pet mm. just died. You know, I failed at something and I got fired. You know, yeah. a relationship ended. These are real markers for what a bad day is. So I try to remind myself, hey, this isn't one of those. This may be bad, but it's not one of those. But I tell people all the time this story about how, you know, I met Dabo Sweeney one night at an award show in Houston, the Bear Bryant Coach of the Year Award. I had this dream of talking to college football programs. There's eight coaches there that night. The first seven of them I meet, they shoot me down. They tell me no. They blow me off. They won't even talk to me. And, and I mean, in one hour, I've been told no seven times. And I'm thinking about leaving. I'm thinking about just getting out of there. But, you know, I told myself, no, man, you survived prison. man. You survived way worse than this. This guy, he's going to tell you no to your face, but you need to get that last no before you go home. So I talked, I gave my pitch to Dabo. I, stalk, I stalked him around the room that night. Finally got in front of him and, and I gave my pitch to him and, and the meeting ended. It was real brief. It ended and it felt like a no, but I felt okay about that last no because I left it all on the field. And we tell people this in sports and in life, leave it all on the field. You work in sales, make all your calls, knock on every door. And when that's done, then you go home. And you know what? Some days you're not going to win, just like you don't have to win all your fights, but you got to fight all your fights. But as long as you give it your best effort, then you can live with yourself. And so I, I live with myself. I didn't worry about it. And, um, but it ended up being the biggest yes in the world because Davo Sweeney's director of football operations got in touch with me months later, brought me to speak to the team. After that, after that, Davo picked up the phone. He called every coach in America. Then he called John Gordon and brought John Gordon into his office and said, John, you got to meet Damon West. And then John Gordon, I write a book called The Coffee Bean. And my life just took off into a different atmosphere overnight. But imagine, Bailey, if I didn't stick around that room that night. Yeah to get that last no. I mean, it was, it was the biggest yes in the world. I didn't even know where I'd be right now. I don't know what I'd be doing, but I did. I stuck around, talked to Dabo, gave him my pitch, felt like a no, went home, slept like a champ because I fought all my fights and I lost. But now I'm in a position in life because I met someone that believed in me and said, let me introduce you to my people. Yeah, no, I love that story. That's great. Hearing the behind the scenes of how things happen and evolve, but you were persistent. Like the persistency is big. And I'm sure that that's probably been a part of your entire life within athletics too, because that's something that you learn, especially as a quarterback. You have to be persistent as the leader of the team. Absolutely. Um, you know, and that's really, really fascinating. But at the same time, how do you not get tied up in accomplishments? Because I know uh, being athletics too, it's very easy to get tied up in your accomplishments and what you do. Um, and, and basically having your mentality and your the way you feel each day based upon the wins that you have. And I think it's a good thing to win, but at the same time, like just putting in the work, even if it come out to the wins today, you know, it does, you don't know what will happen. You just put in the work and see what happens. Yeah. You know, I start off my day. I learned how to pray when I got into prison, Bailey. And I say this one prayer every morning. I've been saying this since prison. I ask God for two things when I start my day, man, put in front of me what you need me to do today for you, God, and let me recognize that when I see it, because I don't want to miss that. And that's it. That's the only thing I pray for. And that's really the ruler, the ruler with which I measure myself with. So here's the deal. I'm walking around. I'm seeing, hey, 
This is someone who needs me. This is somewhere I can help. This is a place that I can be useful and I go and do that. That's really the measurement of my day. Now, all these other things have happened behind the scenes. You know, best-selling author. I went back to school. I got a master's. I'm a criminal justice professor. I've got a family. But it all comes back to my core value of being useful and being a servant leader every single day. And as long as I'm doing that, that ruler, I'm measured up every day. I can, I can go to sleep at night and feel good about the day that I had. And yeah, there's going to be some accomplishments along the way. And there's going to be some failures along the way. I fail, I stumble, I fall, I get down. But like you talked about persistency, man, you have to literally kill me to stop me. And that is just the mentality. And I got that from sports growing up. I got that from being an undersized underdog. I'm a five, 10 and a half quarterback that wanted to play division one college football. And, mm-hmm. and back in the mid nineties, no one wanted a short quarterback, but no one could outwork me. And no yeah. one, no one, you know, no one could sell me short just because I was short. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you you did it. You accomplished what you set out to accomplish and be a quarterback, Absolutely. right? Um, so one of the things we all I want- have these things we accomplish in little ways. I mean, I, I'm talking about extreme things here, like going to prison or playing Division One college quarterback. These are things most people will never do, but we all have these events in our lives, and everything is relative. Especially pain. Pain mm-hmm. is relative, man. If you say it's the worst pain in the world, it's the worst pain in the world. But don't get stuck there in that pain. Use that pain as a resource, man. That pain can be the that can be the perspective you use to build a better life with whatever you judge, every situation you assess it. Hey, is this as bad as that pain was? No, then get going, go do it. Yeah, that's great. I love it. Um, what about controlling the things you can control? I know that's something that's really important because a lot of times we look at things we can't control and we forget about the things that we can. Yeah, you know, it, it took me going to prison to really figure out there's four things that I have control over. I control what I think, what I say, what I feel what I do. That's it. What I think, what I say, what I feel, and what I do. Reality is the world I control is between my ears. The world you control, Bailey, is between your ears. And nothing going on in the world around me do I control. I don't control any of that. And what happens in life is, and I've done this too, is I waste my time trying to figure out ways to control things that I have no control over. And when I waste my time, I waste the most precious resource there is because time, man, once time is gone, it's gone for good. And all the money in the world can't buy one more second of that stuff that we call time. All the time that I spent in my life in, in addiction and, and in prison, that I'll, I'll never get that back. I can't live in that time. I tell people all the time, there's a reason why your windshield is bigger than your rearview mirror. You need a lot more space to look forward than you do to look backwards. And the way we look forward is by controlling the controllables, what you think, what you say, what you feel, and what you do. But here's the warning I have for people too. Never allow a person, a place, a group, a political party to control one of those four things in your mind. Because once you do that, then you become a prisoner in your own mind. And I'm going to tell you something, Bailey. This is coming from a guy that spent almost 10 years in a maximum security prison. Or the fact that I teach a class at the University of Houston downtown called Prisons in America. I can tell you what the toughest prison is. The hardest prison in this country is the prison in your mind. I meet more people out here in the free world that are locked up by their thoughts, by their things, by their prejudices than I ever did when I was serving time in prison. More people are in prison by their thoughts and by their things than by steel bars and barbed wire and concrete. Yeah, that is so powerful. That's such a true statement. And, you know, as you talked about being in prison, how does someone who's sentenced to basically life in prison get out of prison quicker? Yeah, you know, the parole board came to visit me. Uh, I was, I knew I was up for parole and I'd done everything I could 
to to do do my my side of the bargain. What I did get, what I could control, I did control, and that was doing the right thing. Uh, and I got credit, you know, work time credit, good time credits that were building up. I knew I was up for parole, but the parole board was really intrigued. They're like, you know, you've not only changed yourself inside this prison, you changed this prison around you. Mm. And the lady from parole wanted to know, she said, if, if you could be remembered for being anything in life, anything at all, she said, I want you to tell me what that would be in just one word, go. Man, I'm a coffee bean. That's an easy question for a coffee bean. And my answer for her was useful. I just want to be useful. I can be useful in the prison or I can be useful in the free world. You know, you pick, you choose, because I don't have that kind of power. And they let me go. November 16, 2015, I walked. Now, I'm not free, I mean, because that's a big misconception. I'm out of prison, but I'm on parole to the year 2073. So I'm on parole the rest of my life. I check in with my, my PO every month, pee in a cup, pay a fine, answer questions, get permission to leave the state of Texas every single time. Yeah, they really got to track you because you're all over the place speaking and, yeah, and, man. and making an impact. So parole, The parole system is not made for what a guy that does what I do for a living. It's not, it's yeah. not, it's, it's, it, it's a lot of strain on the system, but we make it work. Yeah, absolutely. Well, did you know you wanted to get out and speak and share your message once you got out of out of prison? Yeah, you know, I had a teacher that wrote me, my favorite teacher growing up, a guy named Mr. Jellin, my seventh grade history teacher, wrote me a letter probably September 2nd or 3rd, 2011. I remember getting the letter to myself. And this letter said, hey, Damon, you've been to the highest of highs, you've been to the lowest of lows, but you've always been a great leader. You've always been able to bounce back, and I believe you'll bounce back from this. He said, and I would encourage you to share your story with young people when you get out. And he said those four words, I believe in you. There's another person reaching out and saying, I believe in you. And I remember laying in my bunk with that letter and I'm talking about something. Could I really be someone that could be useful in society? Could I share my story and help other people? And I remember thinking to myself, yes, I could. I can. Mr. Jellin just said I could. He believed in me. But I have to figure out what that story is going to be. And that story has to begin inside this prison right now. And so I started working on myself to be the story that I'm telling today inside that prison. Yeah, no, and that's that's fantastic. You talked about, you know, your teacher and just people continue to pour into you um, no matter where you're at, you know, and that's a powerful example. Like all these people can speak life into you. And that's what you're doing today to so many people and, and so many teams and organizations, businesses, schools. I mean, you get to do that all the time. And, uh, you know, what do you what have you taken away from all this time of being able to do that? What have you enjoyed most and, and what have you seen be so powerful? You know, what I enjoy most is being able to help people because I've, what I've taken away is that the three hardest words for people to say, I need help. I need help. But everybody needs help and we're all coming in need. And I, and I know that. And so I go out and find ways to help people without them having to ask for the help. And that's been something that has given my life value. You know, I told the lady from parole, I want to be useful. And now I'm able to be useful, but I also bring people hope. And this hope is so important because everybody needs hope. They need to see that, hey, if he could do it, I can do it. That gives me hope, you know, but not just people out there in the free world. I get to go into to prisons all over America and share this story with the men and women in there. And that brings them hope. Them you know, they get to have an example in front of them of someone that was wearing the same uniform they were wearing that has turned it around so completely. And we all need to see examples of people overcoming their obstacles in life. And I get, I get to be that example. And it, 
And the biggest reward I have in life is I've got a family now, man. This is something I laid in my bunk when I was in prison. And I thought, you know what? I'll never find someone that loves me. Not going to happen, not with my background. But if I did, even if I did find someone that loves me, after all the stuff I've done, someone in their family is not going to love me. It's going to be so hard. You know, it's going to be one of those things. It's not even going to be worth trying the hassle of finding someone again. Hmm. Because at the core of being human, we all just want to belong and be loved. Everybody, even people in prison, just want to belong and be loved. But I did. I found someone, you know, I tell people all the time, man plans and God laughs. Because I did. I found someone, a woman named Kendall Romero, that fell in love with me. When I did, I was living in my parents' spare bedroom. I'd just been out, gotten out of prison. I'm on parole, and I've got a job making barely above minimum wage. And, and this woman meets me, and she, for whatever it is, she falls in love with that guy. And, and now today, obviously, my life is in such a different place. And, and her little daughter, Clara, is my stepdaughter now. She's 10 years old. And life is certainly different, but I know that I found the right person because she loved me when I was in a way different place than where I am right now. Before all the books, before the movies and all this other stuff. I mean, this person fell in love with me. That's the best thing in the world. Family, relationships, relationships are everything, baby. Yeah, absolutely. And that's such a powerful point. Just having family and people and relationships care and love you for who you are, not what you do or what you're doing. Um, so yeah, I love that. You know, want on your time, get out of here. But the, the final question we have for you, this podcast is called Building Excellence. What does building excellence mean to you? Building excellence is being able to pass off something better for someone else. I mean, we're all given the opportunity in life to do certain things. And not everybody has the same opportunity in life. But building excellence is about going out there and finding ways to help other people out, being a servant leader and and transferring some of your power back to other people because when you get to a position in life and everybody does you don't have to be on the on the level that i'm doing it when you get to a position where you can help other people you've got to find ways to give that back we we say this little quirky saying in my, my recovery program you have to give it away to keep it and i have to find ways all the time to give this back you know when I pray that prayer, God, put in front of me what you need me to do today for you and let me recognize when I see it. That's excellence when I can find that. That's excellence every day. When you message me and say, hey, I'm, I'm a fan of yours. I'd love to do a podcast. You know, I look at that. I'm like, all right, God, I asked for this. Let's do it. Let's get it. Let's get with Bailey and do this podcast because I don't know who your listeners are, but I know that one of your listeners may need to hear this message. And, and if you hear this and you understand what I'm saying, go find those other people to help out because you have the power inside you. Everybody has this power inside them to help other human beings out. And we have to do that because we're all in this together. Yeah, I love that. That's a powerful, powerful example of what building excellence really means. And, you know, we could spend a whole nother topic on time management because you're so busy. You could, you could uh, give us a master class on that. Sure. But, uh, you know, if someone wanted to follow you, you've, you've written two books. One's The Change Agent, How to a Former College Quarterback Since the Life in Prison Transformed His World. You've also written The Coffee Bean. You have social media. What are best ways to get in touch and follow you? Yeah, um, Damon West 7 on Instagram and Twitter, at Damon West 7. And then my website, DamonWest.org, www.DamonWest.org. Awesome. Damon, thanks yep. so much for coming on the show. Really appreciate it. Bailey, thanks a lot, man. Appreciate yep. you, brother. Hey, everyone. It's Bailey Miles. Thanks again so much for tuning in. We hope you found value in the show. And if you enjoyed it, we would really appreciate you sharing the show with a friend, subscribing on Apple or Spotify podcast, writing a quick review, or leaving a five-star rating. When you do that, it really helps get the message out and allows more people to hear these stories 
and help them build excellence in their life, leadership, and legacy. Uh, if you have any questions, thoughts, or ideas, I'd love to hear from you. You can reach out to me via email. It's bailey at baileymiles.com. Follow us on social. We're on all the different social platforms, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube. Or check out our website at baileymiles.com. Once again, I'd love to hear from you, so definitely do that. And then thanks again for joining me on this journey. And remember, life begins at the end of your comfort zone.